Shalom and welcome to The Vibe of the Tribe, a podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm your host, Miriam Ansman. As we are about to exit May, Jewish Heritage Month here in the United States, and enter June, Pride Month, we thought it would be a great time to delve a bit into what Jewish texts teach about gender and Judaism. We are thrilled to have two experts on the subject joining us here today. Mason Dunn is the executive director of the Massachusetts Transgender Political Coalition and co-chair of the Freedom for All Massachusetts campaign. He's been an advocate and activist for trans rights for over 10 years, working across the country to ensure equal rights and protections for his community. Mason converted to Judaism in 2008 after several years of study and exploration, particularly focusing on gender in the Torah. We are also joined by Ev Evnen, the director of Maybright Group. Maybright works with Massachusetts state agencies, nonprofits, and communities to evaluate and improve their climate for LGBTQ people. Ev is also a member of Kalenu, Boston's Jewish Community Choir. Before we get into our conversation, I encourage all our listeners to subscribe to this podcast and follow at Jewish Boston on social media. Mason and Ev, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Let's start in the beginning. There are some verses dealing with the creation of humanity right in the beginning of the Torah, in Genesis, where, quote, God created humanity in his image, male and female, he created them, unquote. What is the Torah saying at this point about the concept of gender, and how did that view change or evolve by the time we get to later texts like the Mishnah? So for me, putting it poetically, uh, God created both man and woman, or male or female, and it's you know important that we understand the distinction between sex and gender here, um, but created the initial human as both and therefore neither. To be both is to be neither, uh, distinctly one. Uh, and so I think that that's inherently a non-binary creation, and that's really kind of beautiful and poetic. Um, I think personally, um, faith and uh, my Jewish faith is about grappling with God's purpose for us individually and us humanity. And when we grapple with things, there's this uh, attempt to put things into a binary. That's you know what mm-hmm. what children do is it's either this or that and that makes it more clear it's either this thing or that thing and there's no in between there's no gray area there's no beyond those two boxes and so I I think that um, oftentimes our grappling with gender and Torah puts us up against this attempt to make things binary when God in and of themselves is Mm non-binary and so I think that uh, we see that from the beginning literally and figuratively, of we try and put things into this or that when their creation is inherently non-binary. Yeah, building off what Mason said, I think that one of the things that I often think about is this notion in Judaism that the second we try to understand or define Tashem, we're wrong. Mm -hmm. Our understanding of divinity, of the divine, um, of the almighty is limited by our experiences as, as humans. Um, And although I I deeply believe, uh, and Judaism believes, that each of us has a spark of the divine in us, um, that means that I, as a person who is not male or female, a person who is not man or woman, as a non-binary transgender person, I have a spark of divinity in me. And Hashem mirrors, you know, I think all genders. um, I don't think we can understand God's gender, Mm -hmm. which 
is kind of the point of gender in my idea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that we can totally understand gender even in its basis in humanity. You know, when we get to the Talmud, um, there are mentions of six different yeah. genders, which a lot of people don't necessarily know about or hasn't been mentioned. And um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So. I think that one of the ways that oppression and marginalization functions is that we're often not taught our own history. And coming from a tradition of learning and education, and especially for so long that that was an oral tradition, I think that the way that I have learned about my trans identity and its really strong roots in Judaism um, has been through community, has been through this kind of recreation of an oral tradition. Mm -hmm. So I was... Um, at the Philadelphia Transgender Health uh, Convention a few years ago, and every single year there's a pool party. Um, so it's all of these amazing, beautiful trans bodies in a pool having fun, and there's a hot tub in this particular place as well. And so um, I was with some friends, you know, just kind of hanging out in the hot tub, and I sat next to this, this trans woman, and we started talking, and she was Jewish, and she had actually grown up Hasidic mm -hmm. and had left her community after she realized that she was trans, and but her knowledge of Torah was so deep. And she told me that Judaism, in fact, recognizes six genders, and I had never heard that. And I had this moment of revelation of, oh my gosh, my tradition has always included me. Mm -hmm. I just haven't always known that. Yeah. Right. And I, I think so many of us in faith communities, regardless of Jewish, Christian, Muslim, we turn to text when we're struggling with our identity. And you know, for me, my I was coming out as trans at the same time I was converting to Judaism, which is a, a beautiful That's a lot. <laughs> it, it's a lot. Um, but I was specifically looking to text to find myself, and I did. Um, and not only in Talmud, where we have an understanding of these six different genders, but even the importance of non-binary genders in some of our most iconic stories in, in Torah. Um, you know, I, I challenge you to read the story of Esther without understanding the importance of Hige, the, mm -hmm. the eunuch who uh, is critical to that story. Yeah. Uh, and so not only did I find experiences of non-binary genders, I found that they were critical mm -hmm. to our stories and to our histories. Uh, and so that is often forgotten. I do a lot of uh, training in Trans 101. I, I do, you know, I go to, so does Ev. We, we go to businesses and schools and we talk about understanding trans identities. And one of the topics that often comes up is, well, these non-binary identities are so new. It's such a millennial thing. Right. Uh, and, and to which I oftentimes talk about Torah and Talmud that, no, actually, not only is this not new, uh, it goes back as long as the human experience yeah. goes back. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that reference not only in, in Jewish texts, but so many other historic texts and understandings of gender. Uh, and so it's, it's really important to understand for me that not only is a, a trans reading of Torah and Talmud not new, it is essential. Mm -hmm. I was actually just, um, during Purim, I didn't make it to shul, but I read this the, the Megillah's Esther and noticed the eunuchs and then started going through all their names because I was like, maybe I'll name a dog this in sometime in the future, but none yes. of them are particularly good dog <laughs> names, unfortunately. I love the name Hige. It is, yeah, you it's, might be it's right. Kinda, yeah. It's kind of beautiful. Yeah, um, it's kind of like Hige. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what you're saying is very interesting because, you know, sometimes you speak to people who are 
they'll tell you a basic reading, right? They'll be like, oh, well, in Deuteronomy and Devarim, they say you can't cross-dress, right? And that's a surface initial reading that is of one verse that doesn't really explore everything else. Um, I'm wondering what your take on on that is and what people when people say that, what is your response? So this actually came up in my bait din mm-hmm. of like, how do you grapple with this yeah. as a trans person, as, as somebody who also identifies as non-binary, although I use he, him, his pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and my reading of that is, it's not about clothing, although uh, the textually it says clothing, it is about how you portray yourself before your community and before God, Mm -hmm. and that you should portray yourself and put yourself forward authentically, and that you should dress according to the authenticity of your identity, because that is who you are. Um, And taking this beyond clothing, but the ways in which you carry yourself, represent yourself, should always be true and authentic to who you know yourself to be. Um, And so yes, a very textual reading is, you can't wear, uh, you know, gendered clothing that, that doesn't match your identity. And and linen and wool. Don't wear linen and wool. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, it's about portraying yourself authentically before your community and before God. I also think of the Torah, I, I hold the Torah simultaneously as the word of God and as a document that was written by people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that a lot of the kind of verses that people go to as anti-LGBTQ verses, we really have to put in a historical context. Right. A lot of the peoples that were living amongst and around the Israelites were engaging in um, what I would call immoral same-sex behaviors because it was non-consensual. Oh, and so a lot of the kind of prohibitions against things that we now recognize as LGBTQ topics there's a historical context there of Mm -hmm. you don't want to be like these other people because Mm. they're doing things that are actually bad. You know, if we look at, you know, to take a a often cited case of, and I know we're deviating a little bit from trans stuff to to kind of more broadly queer and LGBTQ stuff. Well, that's okay. Um, But, you know, if we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, people say, oh, God was destroyed the cities because there was same-sex intercourse going on. When in fact, the reading that I often hear and and I think of when I see that is that it's really a commentary on how you treat the stranger among you. Yeah. And when the angel of God went into the city, um, there was sexual violence going on towards that angel. It wasn't consensual. Right. That was the problem. Right. Yeah. And that's actually also, interestingly, when I, I was raised Orthodox and when I was Orthodox, that was actually a reading that we heard of. It wasn't necessarily... Um, what we initially think it was mm-hmm. the what are you doing to a person in your midst yeah. who's alone you know and I mean they turned out to be an angel but <laughs> the point was <laughs> oopsie whoopsie yeah. that just says you treat everybody great you never know right right, um, right. yeah so um, I want to talk a little bit about the use of gender as a metaphor in Judaism mm-hmm. so throughout Jewish uh, prayers and texts we kind of get the there's this image of the relationship of God and the Jewish people or the people of Israel um, being described as a in a romantic yeah. way or a sexual way yeah. even. So you've got um, the Song of Songs, yes. for example, which is really presented kind of very sexually. Oh, it's uh, hot. Oh, yeah. It's like really hot. Yeah. <laughs> so like where God is the masculine lover and Israel is uh, the, his, his female love, right? So how do we... 
how do we think about this conceptualization of God in terms of a metaphorical but heteronormative relationship? Kind right. of? Yeah, see, to me, the Song of Songs, even though it kind of is coded as like mm-hmm. a masculine part and a yeah. feminine part, those parts to me are so blended and interchangeable. Mm. And even if you look at, you know, when when the the text is talking about his lips are wet with mirror. Right. Like that's <laughs> sexy and it's not exclusively masculine. Right. I think this notion that we mm. can kind of see um, desire and see hotness um, in a masculine setting, but also in a feminine setting at mm. the same time. Mm. And I think that really kind of goes back to this concept of, of the divine that I have of, yeah. you know, we have all of these holy words for God. Some of them are masculine, some of them are feminine. Right. Within Judaism, our concept of God includes so many different genders. Right. right. You know, I actually went back last night and reread Song of Songs just to, to really put myself in that framework. And yes, it's it's super hot. Um, and it, it's basically a long list of metaphors for love and yeah. sex. and artistically, when you're using metaphors and similes and imagery, you are inviting the reader to put themselves in those images. Mm -hmm. And so it takes on a different meaning depending on who the reader is and their own relationship with God. I was also, I was kind of picking apart some of the metaphors and some of the metaphors in terms of gender are really fascinating. So for instance, um, some of the animal metaphors, uh, the masculine the, the animal that's brought in to describe masculinity is a gazelle. And the, the animal metaphor that's brought in to describe femininity is a war horse. I and like that. I do too. It's <laughs> great. Uh, and so like just thinking about that, the, the gender is really mixed up in there in yeah. a really beautiful and, and uh, fascinating and sexy way. Um, then turning to some of the the art, architectural metaphors, mm-hmm. um, and I, I grabbed a quote because I was like so into this. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built to hold weapons, hung with a thousand shields. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and that and that is that. used to describe actually femininity, mm-hmm. as it should be. As it mm-hmm. should be. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really it counters the way that we we think we're supposed to talk about femininity is not about war or aggression. And yet here it is put forth as a defense, as, uh, you know, my my attempt to to capture femininity is caught up in um, power Mm. and force. Mm. Um, And I think that that's really intriguing and beautiful Um, and and then these other you know words to describe masculinity gazelle and this kind of um, really beautiful almost ballet like figure as masculinity and so I I don't think that we can even begin to approach gender without really mixing it up Mm. Um, and, and again seeing yourself in the text how is it that you describe your femininity or your masculinity Mm -hmm. uh, in these words and in these images and you know rabbi akiva called the song of songs the holiest book of the bible right and and when i first heard that it was so striking to me because it's short um and it's sexy yeah um but you know reading it i think that you just i think that sometimes there's, there's a tradition in Judaism of being really sex positive and really valuing sex and recognizing the power of, of sexual intimacy um, to create connections between people. And I mm-hmm. think that this, 
you know, I think maybe that's part of what Rabbi Akiva saw in this. Yeah. And I think it's such a beautiful, powerful example of that. Yeah. I think some people might be very surprised who haven't read it. Right. (laughs) They might be in for a real longer. Yeah, you should all go read it because (laughs) it's Yes, we encourage that. As I was writing notes to prepare for today, I I literally wrote in my notes that Song of Songs is like a teenage fan fiction erotica (laughs) about (laughs) relationships with God. And I just like, yes. That is, I, I went back to my days of writing teenage fan fiction erotica. Um, <laughs> it's out there on the interwebs. You'll never find it. Uh, but, you know, that it really is this uh, almost um, teenage exploration of sexuality mm-hmm. through faith mm-hmm. and trying to figure it all out using metaphors and imagery. And I just, I, I have a great and profound love for Song of Songs. And I, I agree. It, it yeah. is really... Yeah. A, a, a truly holy and wonderful yeah. and sexy text. I um I recently saw the movie Disobedience, and uh, I don't know if either of you have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the, uh, you know, you see one of the characters who's a rabbi, um, teaching, and the I've, thing that he's teaching is the Song of Songs. Yeah. <laughs> so they could have shown him teaching any number of things, you know. Um, but that was the choice. Um, and I, I thought that was really interesting because it also speaks to the themes of the film, which is about um, uh, a lesbian relationship in a uh, ultra-Orthodox London community. Um, and just about how, you know, we see in that scene, the students are asking questions about sex. They're not a, a shy about it or ashamed about it. They're just asking about it in the context of um, the Song of Songs. Um, and I think like even now it's being used in cultural, uh, you know, touch points yeah. um, in that same way, which I, I appreciated when I saw that. Yeah. Okay, so um, as I mentioned, I, I was raised in an Orthodox community and as a woman, I understand that there's a there's a very kind of interesting framework um, about the legal requirements in Jewish law and halacha about um, what is expected for men or women. Um, so I want to talk about how religious observance can be defined by gender in traditional forms of Judaism and what the expectations are for men and women and folks who may not fall into either of those um, roles. So the summer before I was a senior in high school, I spent a month uh, living on a kibbutz in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember going, we took a trip to Jerusalem and I was on Ben Yehuda Street and I really um, wanted to fill in. Yeah. I'd never had, I'd never laid to fill in before. It was something that I was identifying as genderqueer at that point, but walking down the street, pretty much everyone would read me as a butcher masculine woman. So I remember going into this shop and in my very bad Hebrew, um, saying, you know, I want this to fill in and the people asking, who's it for? And I said, Bishvili, it fits yeah. for me. And, you know, my like very limited Hebrew and I was like, you know, it's you know, I want this with all of my heart. Um, and, you know, they were talking and, and they finally agreed to sell it to me, but it was too expensive. Um, so I, I found it at a different place, and, and the guy there was like, yeah, whatever, I'll teach you how to put it on. Oh, that's um, awesome. But, you know, just this experience of having these marked experiences, these requirements for men, which are sexist yeah. in, in my tradition, that I also find incredibly gender-affirming as a transgender masculine person, and balancing that between the fact that it's ludicrous that this is just a commandment for men. Mm. Um, why should people who are not men not have the joy, the tradition, the whatever meaning that they find in these these ritual right. acts? Yeah. Um, and also, 
wearing a kippah for me, yeah. um, laying to fill in these things that are traditionally more masculine have been really gender affirming. Mm-hmm. So weighing that balance between finding affirmation in these practices that are sexist yeah. or these traditions, the practices aren't sexist, the right. way that they have been. The, the implementation yes. right. or yes. the suggestion that because women aren't bound by or time-based right. Right. mitzvot um, for various reasons, um, they it went from you don't have to do this to don't right. do this, right? Um, which is a different thing, but that's right. how it's often come about now. Right. There, there's an element of autonomy there right. of don't versus shouldn't or could, couldn't, you know, things right. like that. You know, Ev and I, we've talked about this a little bit too of um, so many of these are visual markers of our faith. Yes. Wearing kippah, you know, it, it is a signal to the world, this is who I am and I am proud of my faith and I carry my faith with me visually, spiritually, emotionally. Um, and for that to just only apply to, to men is really unfortunate. Um, And so, you know, I I remember really struggling with, you know, my gender and Judaism, but the the first time I went to a synagogue having converted, for me, wearing a kippah was essential. And there was no question. This is just, this is is a part of who I am. This is a part of my faith. And um, it was a a moment of clarity for me that I, I cherish of, no, there's no if here. This is this yeah. is a part of, uh, and this is essential to my practice of faith. Um, and so I just think that visual symbols of our faith should not be limited to identities. Um, yeah. That anybody for whom that visual element is important should have access to it. It's hard as a, um, if you're an Orthodox woman, you can, for people who can spot they're like, I know that's a shaitel. Yeah. Um, but it's not always readily apparent right. to people who aren't clued into uh, what color your tights are or the exact length of your skirt. And right. that tells you what de- you know denomination or what sect you're part of. Um, so people can pass you on the street and they won't necessarily know yeah. um, who you are and what your identity is. And sometimes that's I mean, historically, that's been both a blessing. Yes. And sometimes it's a, it's yes. a yeah, you can pass. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's a curse. So and that there's a yeah. huge overlap there between trans yes. identity and yeah. Jewish identity. Um, passing or blending right. uh, in the trans community is a, a very common um, conversation we have. Of do I blend as male mm. or do I pass as male? Mm. I, I personally prefer the term blend versus yeah. pass. Mm. Um, okay. Uh, so a little language there, but the, the same goes for Judaism. Of do I want to be able to blend? and not be seen as Jewish, or is this important to my identity that I want people who pass me on the street, people in my office or in yeah. my school, to know this is who I am. And there's no there's no judgment there. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody wants to be able to blend, that is absolutely okay. Um, and I never want to pass judgment on folks, and passing judgment, we can get into that too. <laughs> but uh, so I, I think whether we blend as um, the gender we know ourselves to be or we don't, uh, or we blend as not being Jewish in a world that uh, our, our faith is not a majority. Mm-hmm. Um, these are really complicated political debates, um, but people should have access to how, however they want to present themselves. Right. I have so many feelings about this topic. <laughs> um, and I think Mason is really right on the nose when he said that there's so much overlap between Judaism and 
a trans or queer identity. Um, so I I don't look tra- as traditionally Jewish. Um, I'm my dad's family is Jewish Russian stock. My mom's mom's family is like straight up wasp. Um, and I was converted when I was a baby. Um, and so I remember, and especially when I was existing in the world being read as a masculine or or butch woman, mm-hmm. you know, I would walk past the chassids in my campus center saying, you know, light stop, shop right. scandals, right. you know, and they would look at me and assume because of my queer identity that there's no way I could be Jewish. Mm. When in fact, you know, my Judaism is as important to me as my queer and trans identities. Mm. Um, and I think now, as we are living in an age where anti-Semitism is on the rise, transphobia is on the rise, racism is on the rise, all of these forms of oppression, and anyone who is different, we're feeling that weight of difference in a way that is not good. Um, I've been, one of the ways that I deal with that is to try to more visibly express who I am. And I've thought right. about wearing a kippah publicly, even though you know I'm not Shomer Shabbos, I don't keep kosher, but you know, just this idea that like I'm Jewish too, even though yeah. these, I, I don't keep a, a super orthodox practice, um, and this marker of, of this identity is really important to me. And it's important to me to be not just visibly Jewish, but visibly queer, trans, and yeah. Jewish. Yeah, this is very, this is something that I sometimes struggle with because I'm an atheist. But I'm also super Jewy. Yeah. And I'm very, very proud of that. Like, yeah. I, it's it's a, my ethnic, it's part of my ethnic heritage. Yeah. It's um, something I'm incredibly proud of. I have my degree in Judaic studies. Like, this is, this is it a huge part of my life despite the fact that I'm not uh, observant anymore. Um, But what I want to do is give just like the middle finger to the rest of the world. (laughs) But there's no real way, well, no real way that I have seen for me um, to do that without, um, like what am I supposed to do? How how Mm -hmm. am I supposed to signify this? Like right now I've got a hamsa on, but that's not, you know, wholly indicative of anything to people who don't know, or, you know, that's a symbol that's shared through different cultures. Right. Um, you know, I could wear a Jewish star, and sometimes I do, but it's you can't, unless you're looking right in front of me and you're looking for that, right, right. you're not gonna spot that. You're not gonna spot me on yeah. the street and say, Jew. Um, and it, which is weird that, I mean, it, I guess to some people it would be weird that I want that, but I do. Yeah. Um, especially now. Yeah. I want that. Um, so it's a, it's a puzzle. It's it an is. ongoing process of trying to figure out how do I uh, express myself without, you know, I would feel hypocritical if I were to, me personally, if I were to like start wearing a tichel, um and like do any of the other things that yeah. are traditionally associated with um, religious Jewish uh, mm-hmm. femininity. Um, but it's something I still want to do. So it's just a, uh, it's a quandary. You mean, yeah. you mean faith yeah. is an aspect of finding our place in the world? I can't believe it, but apparently it's true. <laughs> Do you see an evolution of acceptance towards trans folk or gender nonconforming folk in some Jewish circles, or is that something that's still pretty far on the horizon? What do you think? You know, I think it, like so many other things, it totally depends on the Jewish community that you're a part of. Um, But I think that people often, actually, I'm gonna go back, sorry. you know, like with so many other things, I think it really depends on the community you're a part of. I am a queer trans Jew from Nebraska, and I like to joke, but it actually might be true, that the queer Jewish population decreased 10% when I left. Um, <laughs> but I, I went back to Nebraska, because I also lead high holiday services there, um, and I went back the Shabbos before high holiday services because I needed a new Jewish name. The name that I had was, uh, you know, a feminine name that I'd been given. 
and I asked my grandmother to rename me, um, and she did so with the help of our our um, lay leader, who's a rabbi and everything but ordination, um, and from the the orthodox woman that I met at the hot or the formerly orthodox woman I met at a hot tub, I learned that there is a way to have a non-gendered Jewish name, and that is to say, name me mi, mibet from the mm. house of. Ah. So. My grandma renamed me Orcha Vashmi Beit Ruvain, a new light from the house of Reuben. That's beautiful. Um, thank you. She is an amazing Jewish woman. Um, and I, our lay leader, Nancy Corin, um, called me to the Torah with my new name. And it was the half Torah was Isaiah saying, you shall be called by a new name. And it was every, you know, I think that so many of us have this experience of like reading in the text like exactly what we needed to read at that moment. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, this little shul in Nebraska that for as long as I have been a part of it, from the time I was three or four years old, from the time I came out when I was 16 or 17 as not straight to the time I came out as trans in my early 20s has been nothing but accepting and nothing but understanding. Um, and it continues to be a home for me, even though I live in Boston now. That's really encouraging. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that story. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know my my answer to this is um, based in, in Jewish text of uh, if not now, when? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if we are not working for acceptance now, and I'm not just talking about acceptance for queer and trans folks. I'm talking about, to me, the bedrock of Jewish faith is about equality. It is about love, and it is about justice. And so our work as a Jewish community, as a faith, is about working towards acceptance of queer and trans folks, gender nonconforming folks, about uh, acceptance and love for our, uh, our Muslim cousins yes. and neighbors, um, and for working for justice for us all. Mm-hmm. Um, justice, justice shall, shall you pursue. Yeah. Uh, and that is... Uh, my call to my my community, um, both in the the LGBTQ plus community, my Jewish community, um, and so many other communities I am a part of, is we have to work towards justice for all people and to end oppression and marginalization in all of our communities. And rest assured, there is marginalization and oppression in all of the communities we operate in. Our work is never done, and if we don't take up that work now, then when can you hear that song well i want to thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with us today thank this you. has been uh, really eye-opening and amazing thank you thank, thank you, you.